Welcome to War Stories. I'm Preston Stewart, and this is a show where we talk about America's military history through the lens of individual acts of heroism and valor. Enjoy. All right, today we've got the story of Staff Sergeant William Bordelon. Staff Sergeant Bordelon was a United States Marine. He was a combat engineer serving in the Second World War in the Pacific Theater of Operations. And today we're going to talk about his actions during the Battle of Tarawa. Tarawa would be the first stop in the United States campaign in the Central Pacific. If we look at the timeline here, we're in November 1943. The United States has been at war for about two years. Remember, it's December 7th, 1941, the, when Pearl Harbor took place. So after that, we entered into the war with Japan. And there's been there's been a fair amount of fighting, a lot of naval fighting. And just recently, well, not necessarily just recently, in February of 1943, the United States wrapped up operations on Guadalcanal. This was the first major land offensive for the United States in the Second World War. So we talked about how that was such a critical moment to be able to finally get what we would call a good solid win and start to push back the Japanese Empire. Guadalcanal would take place in what's known as the Southern Pacific. We, you know, it's a great big open ocean. So we, we, we categorize some of these in different areas to help understand the directions of these advances. And in the Second World War, there were two main axes of advance. There was the Southern Pacific, Guadalcanal being one of the main uh, moves there in the Solomon Islands. And then you had the Central Pacific. Tarawa is in the Central Pacific. And the invasion of that atoll would be the first step in that direction. The Tarawa as an island, or it's an atoll, a series of little small islands. I mean, it's nothing. If you look at it on a map, it's, I mean, you talk about how far you have to zoom in to actually be able to see it. The largest island in the atoll is on the southern side called Betio, B-E-T-I-O. That's tiny. It's two miles long by 800 meters, 800 yards wide at its widest. There's just not a lot there. But why Tarawa? Why Tarawa was a hot topic at the time, it's still up for debate. I think more people have moved into the camp that it was a worthwhile campaign than not. Nonetheless, especially when people had family members and friends that had died in this campaign, I think it was a valid ask as to why on earth are we taking this two mile by 800 yard island in the central Pacific? Well, if you remember our campaign during the second world war in the Pacific, the whole idea was around island hopping. So we were going to hop from one island to the other. You needed to be able to get from one island to the other. We would skip a lot of islands in the process. We weren't taking every single island in the Pacific. We weren't even taking every single island that had Japanese soldiers on it. But there was one major criteria it's any island that had an airfield had special importance. The islands, islands would have to be big enough and flat enough to support an airfield. And there aren't that many of those. So we could zero, we could narrow it down relatively quickly. Even at that, you had to consider how you would get from point A to point B. So in the Pacific War, the end goal for all United States military planners is the invasion of mainland Japan. That is the I don't know if you want to call it the light at the end of the tunnel, but that's the end of the tunnel. We're going to be landing troops. 
we're going to be landing troops in Japan to push back and, and finally destroy the Japanese empire. In order to do that, there's some conditions that have to be set. Some of those conditions are you really like to be within bomber range to support those troops. You'd sure love to be within fighter range. And wouldn't it be great if you had some forward bases for your Navy to where they didn't have to sail halfway around the world to deposit those troops on hostile soil? So in order to get to that point where we have a jumping off point to get into Japan, because at this point, it's fully expected that that's what we're going to do. We're going to need to do if we want to win the war. Well, a great jumping off point is going to be the Mariana Islands. So we look on a map and say, there's the Marianas. That's a good spot to get into Japan. They're Japanese held. So we're going to have to, at some point, and we will, assault the Mariana Islands. Well, to be able to assault the Mariana Islands, what's the next group that makes sense to attack that's within range? What's the Marshalls? So we're going to need to take the Marshall Islands, also in Japanese hands. So we're going to need to somehow get within range of the Marshall Islands. But what's within range of the Marshall Islands? Terror. Terror. The tiny little airfield, the 3,600 strong garrison would allow the Japanese garrison, that would allow land-based aircraft to assist in what would end up being the Marshall Island campaign. That's one major portion. The other portion is you just don't want any sizable enemy force in your supply line. So again, moving from Hawaii, which is the United States Pacific hub to the Marshall Islands, even if we were to directly assault the Marshalls, now you've got this pesky airfield and Japanese force between the two of you, and it's big enough to cause damage. It takes just one Japanese aircraft to sink a uh, shipping vessel. So you got to deal with it. And that the, the, the decision then is on 20 November 1943, Marines from the 2nd Marine Division are going to land on Tarawa and take that island, take that atoll. It's going to be a short fight, 76 hours of combat total. It's going to be vicious. The Japanese have been on this island for a little while. They took it pretty early in the war, and they've been for over a year defending the island, building defenses in the islands, if I would say it. At this point in the war, what the Japanese are doing is building defenses on the beach. The intent of the defenders at Tarawa is to stop the Americans as they exit the landing craft. So what that means is that they have machine gun bunkers and pillboxes all up and down the beach. What it is not is a defense in depth. That's something we'll see a little later in the war that we'll start to see in Saipan. We'll most certainly see in Okinawa and Iwo Jima. And it turns into some of the nastiest fighting of the war because it's just nonstop. Tarawa is a different fight. Each one of these islands represents a different type of battle almost throughout the Pacific as strategies change, as uh, capabilities change, as experience changes. And on Tarawa, as we said, the Japanese are going to set in this fixed defense, trying to stop the American forces at the beach. Don't even let them really take 10 yards of the beach, stop them there. And, and they're going to, now what we will see that starts to take place on Tarawa and, and, and moves forward. We saw in Guadalcanal as well, and it's starting to take form or bonsai attacks and suicide charges and a fight to the death. So on Tarawa, setting up these beach defenses to stop Marines in their tracks. But at the end of the day, we understand that there's not going to be an element of surrender here. Should the United States, uh, 
succeed in taking the island. At the end of the day, there would only be 17 Japanese soldiers that surrendered in the Battle of Tarawa. That's out of 3,600 defenders. So that's a theme we'll see over and over again on every single island and every single battle in the Pacific. Just a staggering casualty figure on the Japanese side. That takes us to 20, 20 November 1943 as U.S. forces are attempting to land on the beaches of Tarawa with Staff Sergeant William Bordelon. He's moving in with a tractor. And again, the difference between Tarawa and Guadalcanal, Guadalcanal, if you recall, they let the Americans land on the beaches. It was just about unopposed. The fighting didn't really start until the Americans pushed inland. So the Marines don't, at this point in 1943, don't necessarily have the experience of landing on a hostile beach under fire. It sounds a little weird, having just wrapped up a campaign like Guadalcanal. And this is the same division that took part in Guadalcanal, but that piece of the experience hasn't yet been gained. It'll be gained at Tarawa. There's heavy Japanese fire as they approach the beaches. Staff Sergeant Borderline's team, he's a combat engineer, sir. He's a combat engineer. The bulk of his team are killed or wounded before they even get to the shore. Only four people from his organization make it to the shoreline. As soon as he hits the beach, he recognizes the damage that these Japanese pillboxes, bunkers, emplacements, whatever you want to call them, are, are wreaking on American forces. This is the main portion of the Japanese defense. The bunkers sitting on or near, at least targeting the beach. They have to be dealt with to move inland. Staff Sergeant Bordelon being a combat engineer, he's got his demo with him. So he forms a few charges and moves forward. Now, one of the ways to, this is one way to knock out these bunkers. One of the problems is they tend to have these very small slits, so you can't shoot into them easily. Big enough munitions like a bazooka or a tank might work. Tanks aren't getting ashore on Tarawa. Um, you could throw grenades and maybe you get a lucky shot and the grenade goes through the, the slit in the opening. The slit might not be big enough for a grenade to go through. And if the grenade detonates right outside, it's going to be an inconvenience and you, it's possible that some shrapnel could get in there. But for the most part, it's not going to do anything unless it gets all the way in the enclosure. Really hard to do, especially because there's people in that bunker trying to keep you from doing that. Staff Sergeant Bordelon has with him one of the solutions to dealing with these bunkers. It's going to be a demolitions charge. It's you, you, you don't throw it like you would throw a grenade. It's a high explosive that will cave in these bunkers. Or if they're built incredibly strong, it'll at least kill everybody in it from the, the concussive force. But to do that and to employ these, you can't throw it 40 yards or 30 yards or 20 yards or not even 10 yards. I mean, you got to get right up on the enemy emplacement. And that's what he does. Two times in quick order, runs up on these enemy emplacements using the demo charges that he's prepped and single-handedly destroys two enemy positions. These are the things that are stopping Americans on the beach. There's over 100 of them. Taking out those two is huge. Troops start to move forward. He comes across another bunker, is called forward again, and on his own initiative, charges with his demo ready to take in this bunker. He's hit and severely wounded in the process by machine gun fire. He falls back, refuses medical treatment, and as he's as he's waving off the medical treatment, recognizes that some Marines, some from his own demo, from his own um, engineering team, his assault engineer platoon, I think is the correct term, are still in the water. 
They're underwater. They're, they're, they're in the water, excuse me. They're in the water. They're under fire. They're unable to get to the beach. They're at risk of being hit and killed by enemy fire. They're at risk of drowning. They're at risk of being run over as more American tanks try to come ashore and more of these alligators, kind of amphibious vehicles. They can't dodge all of the Americans in the surf. He sees this wounded. Again, he's been refusing treatment, runs back out, helps to pull in at least two Marines, pull them to safety and start helping. And it helps them get their wounds treated. The whole time he's picked up a rifle as, and as he best can, despite his wounds, is returning fire, helping to lay down fire against the enemy as they continue forward on the beach. They come across a fourth enemy pillbox. And once again, Staff Sergeant Bordelon is called on to destroy this with another one of his demo charges. He gets up, moves forward, starts to assault the position, is hit and killed by enemy fire at the age of 22. On 20 November 1943, at the age of 22, Staff Sergeant William Bordelon was killed by enemy fire as he assaulted his fourth enemy machine gun nest of the day. For his actions in opening up that portion of the Tarawa Beach, allowing more Marines to come inland, saving the Marines in the water, and continuing to push forward despite his wounds, Staff Sergeant Bordelon will be awarded the Medal of Honor. Hey, thanks for listening to War Stories. If you get a chance, it'd mean an awful lot if you could head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. It helps others to to find the show. But thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.